Super Clash. It is the Super Clash podcast, your podcast for games, anime, movies, and whatever comes through our stupid little heads. This is episode 47. I am your host, Kale. Hello, it's Connor. And Connor, how you doing this week? I am all right. What would you think of that intro? It was magnificent. What do you probably our best intro yet? Uh, no, that was when I did it. Oh, fuck you then. <laughs> and and here's the thing. I was th- I was at work thinking, you know what? I think I think our intro needs like a little more pizzazz, you know, and, and, and it needs to kind of get you excited. And anyone who is listening to the podcast, if it's you, um, you I figured it'd be a good way to kind of su- summarize our uh, podcast, at least for the time being. And a, a month from now, we might have some new surprises. 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 So, yeah, uh, let's just uh, dive right into it. Uh, Connor, uh, <clears throat> let's uh, dive into uh, let's talk about the uh, I don't know why we're just diving right right into this f- fucking sk- uh, skipping the ple- the pleasantries here. Mm-hmm. Talk about the uh, the Grudge 2020. So I've only seen the original Grudge. Okay. So right out of the gate, how does this compare to? Oh gosh, what is that? The uh, 2000 film. Honestly, it does not have the same level of creepiness and impact by any stretch of the imagination and it's far more convoluted so uh okay i'll go into a little bit of detail on it here for us um so the film the reason i said it's convoluted is because it all takes place it 99% of it takes place in the United States. Um, A very that is yeah, that is extremely different because the original one took place in Japan. Japan, right? Okay. So the beginning of this film takes place in Japan, um, with the um, grudge being brought over to the United States. I guess. Okay. Um, so there's this woman who I guess was like a social worker at the house from the first film and she comes back to the United States and through a tragic turn of events, everyone in her house ends up dead. Mm -hmm. Um, the movie kind of hops around a lot and what happens is it goes through three different families who have lived in this house, but it just kind of hops around. It'll spend like 10 minutes talking about the family that lived there. I don't know how many years ago, 15 years ago, then mm-hmm. 10 years. Then you know, we'll talk about the one that was there 10 years ago. Oh, we're going to talk about the one that was just there. Oh, we're going to, you know, so it's like, it kind of is just like all over the place um, with how it presents the story, which gets very confusing uh, so you have like the first family, which is a uh, it was a, a a woman, her husband and a daughter. And then the second family was uh, a man and a woman and the woman is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is a um, woman who's elderly, who uh, appears to have dementia, maybe. And her husband. Um, and so. The, the story takes place through the eyes of this uh, 
police officer who recently transferred to the city in which this this haunted house is at and she uh becomes fascinated with this house after investigating a death where a um a woman was in a a car accident and she um was brutally mangled in the car basically and so she starts investigating this and seeing how like anybody who went in this house is now dead or insane so it kind of goes through that why i think it doesn't have the scare factor is it's so caught up trying to tell this like very convoluted like three section story in one Mm mm-hmm that it doesn't really focus on the scares that much, in my opinion. So it kind of falls under the complaint that I had with Antlers. It was trying to tell a more complicated story than it probably could have, should have been. Yeah, and on top of that, so like the main scary thing from the <clears throat> the first Grudge movie was you had that, that little boy who is scary, and then you had the the woman who yeah who made those noises, right? Yeah, and they try to do that, but they use the little girl from this new house is now basically that kid, except she, for all intents and purposes, seems like a normal little girl, um, whose nose keeps bleeding, which you find out it's because. Uh, her nose was broken by her parents when she was killed or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, okay, whatever. And then the woman who came from Japan to the United States, it has her as the other like creepy spirit um, who exists in a bloody bathtub because she killed herself in the bathtub, right? And so those are like the two primary entities in this and occasionally you see the the husband as well show up as a a ghostly apparition Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't have the same punch um there was something kind of creepy and new and iconic about those sort of entities in the first grudge that they try to recapture that magic but with different characters in this one and it just it just kind of falls on Mm -hmm. its face I honestly didn't think you when you mentioned the uh, first one um, and how iconic it is. I actually watched it maybe a, a year and a half ago. It was the first time I actually watched it. I actually didn't find it all that scary. Um, maybe because I was uh, going coming into it um, when the whole creepy Japanese boy was already kind of a common trope. Mm-hmm. And, of course, The Grudge, the first movie, kind of hit all of those beats of of creepy creepy Japanese boy movie. Mm-hmm. And also, it's the American version, and obviously I would assume the American version is nowhere nearly as scary as, like, the original Japanese version. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what is up. I, I'm going to go on a, on a tangent here. I don't know what is up, in general, with American horror movies. Oh, I don't get man. it. I, 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 I don't know... If if they're scared that the audience would get bored and so there needs to be a jump scare with a sting or like there needs to be like an exceptional amount of gore for some reason because that's some that's it which 
is can be scary. Don't get me wrong. It's its own genre. But I like think. I, when I look at um like your Korean horror movies and um, um Gonjiam Haunted Asylum, mm-hmm. like which is still probably one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen. Uh, I I would l- think about how an American would do that. It would one make the characters twenty times as annoying, mm-hmm. and it would just be like jump scare fest. Yeah, it seems like to me the a lot of American films are kind of rushing to get a bunch of scares all the time and they don't want to be as much of a slow burn as uh, maybe they used to be or as some other countries are, are doing mm-hmm. with their films now. And I think that's a big problem with this film too is that it doesn't give itself any room to be a slow burn because you now have established, well, I at least need to kill off all of these characters that I've established across this wide timeline. And so we don't have a way to really establish or get you attached to any of these characters. You don't give a shit about any of them because you know off the get-go they're all dead. You might as well, if and if you're going to go with that logic, you might as well just make a slasher. Yeah. Th- they're all already dead. And then because you're hopping around telling the stories of this one, you're not really getting at even the main protagonist's backstory very much. Like, so it tried to be too many things, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I really want to watch the original Juon movies, the, the Japanese ones, because I've only ever seen the, I think the first two American ones. Uh, and then this newest one. I didn't ever see the gru- the third Grudge movie. Mm-hmm. This would be the fourth. Um, so, yeah. That's just my thoughts on it. I, I would not spend your time watching it. Also, um, John Cho, I believe, is the actor. Who, I want to I wanna be right here. Uh, because there's a point I have to make on it. Give me one right second. Now, yeah, Connor's, Connor is looking up. Um, yeah, it's John Cho. Oh, wow. That was fast. Yes. That guy. Okay. He's a pretty prolific... A- he's he's from Harold yeah. and Kumar. He played Sulu in Star Trek. You know, all this stuff. He's gotcha. a big-name actor, and they showed him a lot in the advertisements. He essentially accounted for a throwaway character. So their character, who I would assume is probably one of the higher-budget characters in this movie, was just a throwaway character, really. He, hmm. he was a... He was the middle family that died in this house. So it wasn't he wasn't even used effectively. No, because like, because <clears throat> you can make that work. You can't have a, a big name actor and have him barely in the movie to make it and and make it work. Uh, Psycho was extremely famous for that. Um, I don't know the char- the I can't remember the characters' names or the actors, but. The woman that died in the shower, she was a big name actress. Like she was one of the top billing actresses at the time, and Alfred Hitchcock purposely uh, used her, and then subverted expectations by killing her in the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. So you can use it effectively, and what it sounds like is that this, unfortunately, he was not used effectively in this or they could have inserted any other character in that role and it probably would have had the same effect they didn't i don't know Mm, i would that's unfortunate they they way they advertise i assumed he was the main character like the protagonist but he was not and that seems disingenuous because 
the the main protagonist. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. Hmm. So they used, you know, for a majority of the film, they used this kind of nameless actress um, to be the protagonist, which is kind of frustrating. Interesting. <laughs> it's so funny when you uh, also kind of another tangent when you mentioned the gr- the grudge, like because all these American remakes of Japanese movies kind of blend together for me. Mm-hmm. I was thinking The Ring until you yeah. started describing. Yeah. So, I mean, they came out around the same time and they're of a similar genre, long-haired, uh long dark-haired pale girl, uh supernatural. Yeah. It's all kind of similar. Yeah. And they both stemmed from Japanese movies. Mhm. Mhm. So, all right. So, I, I'm I was always never interested in that film, so now I'm definitely going to avoid it. Yeah, don't waste your time. Okay. Uh I'm going to switch gears here. Uh I'm going to I have a game to add to my 2022 completions. Um, unpacking. So, your wife actually recommended this to to me uh, last time we got together because I was looking for kind of a wholesome, relaxing game to kind of uh, counterbalance the the frustration and getting my ass handed to me with a boss in Elden Ring. Uh, I've been I've been fighting the fire giant and i've gotten close a few times to beating him and then his stupid fucking area effect attack in his second phase just fucking obliterates <laughs> me um fun fight though n- nonetheless so i i went ahead and bought this game it was like i think it was like 20 dollars on the on the, the uh, nintendo store the hook of this game is you have a room uh that and all you unpack boxes, and you can kind of put these thing these things in the boxes in like uh, different locations. Uh, this is a puzzle game, so certain locations, or so, sorry, certain objects need to go in certain locations, mm-hmm. but they make sense. So like your computer tower, you know, it can go any kind of anywhere on the desk. You just can't put it in the closet. Okay. So st- stuff stuff like that. Um, there is a story, uh, with this game, uh, it centers around a nameless girl who you start in 1997 in her childhood room, and then it moves up to her, in her first dorm room, and then her first time with roommates, her first serious boyfriend, um, and then moving back home after breaking up with said boyfriend, and then meeting a girl, um, falling in love with her and then moving in together and then planning to have a baby with her. Hmm. So it's a, it's a very sweet story of just a whole like range of emotions. And so <clears throat> that's pretty much just kind of the kind of the crux of this game. Uh along with the story you you can kind of piece together like what this main girl's interested in. He, she's interested in drawing. Uh, her her first uh, room, there's uh, these kind of like child drawings of these characters. And as the story progresses, you see the same characters but drawn better with more detail. Hmm. Um, pretty soon she gets her a, a drawing tablet and she can start ma- making those drawings. So now you have to make room for that. She gets more stuff as she gets older and it becomes more and more difficult to arrange things in a in a a nice order Mm -hmm. 
And then the very last room or house, I should say, that you unpack, because you unpack a, an upstairs and a downstairs, you see her drawings fully realized, and she created a book series with these characters. Hmm. And it's just such a wonderful little story. Nice. Um, and I loved this game. This game was about four hours long. And wholeheartedly recommend. It's 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 the music's great. Um it's I, I literally played it before bed up until I beat it. And now that I beat the game, I kind of feel this emptiness inside because I just, I just loved this game so much. This is a game that I I feel like um with our future format that we need to choose at some point because I will be more than willing to replay this game and I want to I just want to get your thoughts on this game. Such okay. such a great little game. I would be down for that on the condition that I can wait until the physical copy comes out. You know what? That's fine. There's uh Limited Run Games is making a physical mm -hmm. version it, on PS5 and Switch, so I'm like I'll wait, I yeah. think. <laughs> and if if I did have to have a complaint about this game is how the how you unpack in this game you use a cursor mm -hmm. um if i had a choice i would probably rebuy it on pc because just have more precise control with a with a mouse okay. and keyboard rather than a controller i did play it on my switch so i don't know if a um larger controller like a ps5 or a switch pro controller would be better but other than that, that that's just um, that's just taste at this point, and and what you and we can tolerate is not, it does not affect the game at all. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's unpacking. Sounds good to me. Oh, <laughs> oh I, I, probably it's probably my favorite game I played this year so far. Wow, nice. So next to Elden Ring, because of course Elden Ring right now is my number one. Okay, so, that's but, fair. <laughs> but that's just me as as a uh, as a Souls fan. Okay, so Connor. Uh, let's talk about one more game before we can do until we can do some more round table stuff here. Tell me about Animal, the film Animal. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a movie. Okay. Um, so I was looking for a good like creature feature film. Mm, um, I love me with some a monster movie. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I had kind of high hopes for this one. Um, it had some actresses I had heard of before. So it had Kiki Palmer in it. And Elizabeth Gillies was mm -hmm. in it. And so I was like, I've heard of them. And the reviews I saw on, I, I want to say, did I watch it on, I want to say I watched it on Amazon Prime. Uh, it, it had like fairly decent star rating. So I put this movie on and honestly, <sighs> there's stuff that I really liked about it. And at the same time, I felt like it was a very... I don't know, uh, like a movie, like a B movie that you would see, right? Okay. So the the movie starts with this group of people. They're running through the woods. It's clear that something is is chasing them, and uh, one of these characters trips and falls, and then gets dragged off, and you see blood spattering everywhere as she's being eaten, right? Right. And the other characters continue running off um then it flashes to a different set of characters who are um i believe they're supposed to be teenagers there is um let's see one two three guys and two girls um and the 
the whole plan is they're supposed to go on this hiking trip out into the woods. And so they park their car Classic out in the woods. Setup. Yeah. And they go into the woods and at a certain point they hear a an animal making a noise and it's freaks them out so they end up seeing the animal with a a flashlight and they're like oh gosh this thing is is horrifying and it i I will give it this this is the point that i actually wanted to make that i I do like about it is that they use practical effects in this movie the monster is not some cheap cg monster okay nice It, it looks like they actually used practical effects to make this monster i'll give them that um and so they all start running, and the character who they kind of establish as being, like, the main guy, he ends up just getting, like, brutalized um, <laughs> and, and eaten and disemboweled, basically. It seems to, like, rip their intestines and their stomach out, basically. And so they run, and they find this cabin, and they bang on the door, and these people let them into the cabin. Inside the cabin, there are uh, two adult males and, and, a, and a woman. And they have basically held up in this house, and you come to find out that they can't seem to find a way to get out of there. They're, they're trapped there, so now there are more people trapped in this house. And as the f- movie progresses, uh, the creature begins trying more and more to get into this house, and they keep trying to fend it off. They eventually come up with this plan to send one of the teenagers off running while the rest of them kind of like distract it and get its attention fails horribly (laughs) as you would imagine and basically i I could talk about the whole plot it's not really that great or important one by one they all start slowly getting killed as you would expect with this kind of movie and at the very end uh one girl kills the monster and gets away only for you to find out there's more of these creatures. So pretty standard mm-hmm. plot overall. Um, I don't think I would recommend it. It doesn't do anything different with the genre. The only thing I'll give it is the practical effects. How does the monster like, n- not, not with practical effects, but the monster design, does it look like a cliched monster or is it, or is it a pretty creative design? I'd say it's fairly creative. It it's kind of like a hunched over, uh, appears to be bipedal. It's got kind of like a long face with like teeth on the end, like this. I'm kind of making a gesture. I don't know how to describe that. So it's almost werewolf like, kind of, but more creative werewolf. And it has like patches of fur on it, and then it has like these like tendril, like little spike things coming hmm. out of its back. Um. Like quills almost. Um, so it's a fairly unique design, and they don't really ever establish like what it is. Is it an alien? Is it a, just a monster? Is it you know what it what is it? Um, and they kind of set up some like additional plot points that don't really pay off. Like one of the characters gets on his cell phone and is able to not only call the like police, but also calls like this family that lives nearby that they're friends with mm-hmm. and that there there's no i was kind of expecting like there to be an attempt at rescue there was never an attempt n- no no one ever shows up um 
and the character that you kind of expect to get away doesn't because one of the characters just like can't run anymore oh no and then they sit down and it kills the character who you expect to survive and the character who couldn't run anymore can suddenly run again and runs off (laughs) and you know like wow so it's is something Uh, well (laughs) i love monster movies but i'll just like the garage i'll probably skip over this one like i i want to try to find a good fun monster movie to to watch okay Connor, it's yes. time. For what? Tell me about Horizon Zero Dawn. Ah, God. Okay, I want to make this very clear uh, to anyone listening listen to this. Uh, we understand that Horizon Zero Dawn is, is beloved, and there are a lot of fans for it, and I can understand um, ha- the importance of Horizon Zero Dawn of having or a a big game having a female protagonist that is even though that's becoming more common at the time it's it's still not even at the time it's still pretty rare mm-hmm. to have a a female protagonist in a triple a game that's not overly sexualized like early tomb raider games yeah um so and and yeah especially the over sexualized i remember before the second game came out, people were like, why does, why does Aloy have a beard when it was trying to show, like, the detail of the engine? You, sh- you could see her peach fuzz. Mm-hmm. And there were a bunch of, a bunch of neckbeards who were saying, why does she have a beard? It's like, clearly you've never been near a woman to even know that shit. Yeah. And just and shit like that. So I understand the importance of the game. But we just think, at least me, I just think it's okay. I think it's a slightly better Ubisoft game because it that's basically what it is. It's it is it follows the Ubisoft formula just without like I I don't think the first game has microtransactions. Um, it's basically a Ubisoft game without the microtransactions. It is um, this is my rant before I before you can go on your rant. It is just a large open world map with ten million waypoints and activities to do. To the point where it's just completely overwhelming to me, and that's that's why it's really hard for me to get into Ubisoft games, and why I haven't finished Horizon Zero Dawn because it just feels like a slog. It's too much to do, compared to Ghost of Tsushima, which is an open world game as well, but it doesn't. It's not an eye rape of of different activities to do. There, yeah, and so. I think the game is just okay. It I think it's fine. Yeah. Okay, that's my that 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 is my rant about the game. You've been kind of building up your rant of the game since mm. before we recorded, so the floor is yours, Connor. Well, I don't want to I I kind of also said this. I don't want to dive too much into it for a couple reasons. The first is we've already kind of talked about Horizon before on a previous podcast about a year ago. Yeah. And then in addition to that, I kind of want to save some of my overall impressions for once I'm done with the game. I am very close to finishing the main game, so um, I, I will probably revisit it in, in a near podcast. Um, that said, this game is incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. Um, I, For context, I am currently stuck on a side mission 
where, um, you know, the big T Rex looking, yeah, robot thing. It's it. I think it's on the cover of the yeah. of the game. So, I am stuck on a mission where I I spent approximately thirty plus minutes fighting this monster, um, and then I died to a random explosion when it was almost dead. Like it had a tiny sliver of health left and i almost died or i sorry i did die Mm -hmm. um and so the reason it's frustrating is that it took me that long to fight this thing so the whole gimmick of the game is in order to defeat these robots you have to shoot strategic spots on their body break off pieces Mm -hmm. and and go forward uh I will wholeheartedly admit when I first started playing this game, I didn't really understand all the, the elemental mechanics, the targeting certain parts with different elements mechanics. Fine. Whatever. I didn't understand that in the very beginning. I have a full grasp of that now. And I will say, when I died to this creature, and I don't even think the creature killed me. I don't really know what killed me. And we'll get to that. Um, I had taken off every one of its key components. It was a bare-bones, limping creature by the time it had half health left. And then I still just – I was just shooting arrows because it didn't have – it had, like, a few little plates on its body that were, like, target spots. Mm -hmm. But at that point, every key component I had torn off this creature. I don't know why at this point it was not dead and why it was still, like, taking so many hits. It felt like I was flicking pebbles at it. That's, like, what it felt like. And randomly, I was literally just, I was kiting it around this big rock in the center of the map because it was aggroing me constantly. There was Mm -hmm. no way to get the aggro off this thing. And I'll talk about that, too, later. But um, I I was just running around in a circle. He was not, the, the creature was not winding up any shots. It was not shooting anything at me. There was just an explosion underneath me that one-shotted me when I had full health and killed me. Jesus and I was like, Christ. what the fuck just happened? And then it turns on the thing, and the creature's just entering with a full health bar. And I was like, oh, fuck that. Turned it off immediately. <laughs> so one thing I will say about the enemies in Horizon Zero Dawn, so many of them are in a constant state of aggro. To where I am literally just running and dodging, running and dodging, running and dodging, running and dodging. I can't even think to, like, get off a good hit on them because I'm constantly rolling out of the way. And I've noticed that some of them, too, um, you know, when something's charging at you, you assume the charge is going to be in a straight line. I have literally watched one going charging straight at me. I roll twice to the side And mid-charge, it changes angle and hits me on the side and, like, wipes out my entire health bar. And I'm like, how? This does not make sense. Um, I said this in in a previous podcast, too. Sometimes when you're running, you have to keep an eye on this, this creature. That is chasing you. So you're you're running, but you're also like you're not really necessarily watching where you're going. And one of the big problems with this game that I had mentioned, as I said, is there are like rocks that are maybe half a foot tall in the game or a small branch or whatever. And instead of your character just treating that as like a slight incline and just kind of going over it or just going over it, they will 
full stop when they hit one of those rocks. And then you're like, oh, shit, I'm running and running, and I'm stopped. And now all of a sudden the creature just plows over me. And it's like... This is why iframes are important. I was like, what the... And I know that you had mentioned before that, like, oh, Connor, you probably need to upgrade your weapons more. You need to buy more stuff at shops, et cetera, et cetera, which I took that to heart, and I started doing that. And I still feel like a lot of the weapons don't do the amount of damage they should, or it's inconsistent. Hmm. So let's say there's a watcher in front of me. You know the ones with the big eyeball? Yeah. Sometimes, and my wife even watched me play this, sometimes, shoot him directly in the eye, one shot, kill, gone. Sweet. Right on. How it should be. Other times, shoot it in the eye, does no damage, just pisses it off. Directly shot it in the eye. Same thing with uh, enemies. I realize some of them have helmets and all that other shit. There are enemies that I have shot in the face who don't have a helmet on, who take three or four shots to the head to die. Fighting fighting humans in that game is so bad. I hate it. It's I so hate bad. It. It's awful. Every time, and there's so many human encounters. In addition to that, the I don't understand why every single robot in that game needs to be aggro all the time. It makes traversing the map absolute nightmare because oh shit the horse monsters pissed at me oh shit the deer monsters pissed at me oh the crab monsters pissed at me now just because i walked within 50 feet of it and so every enemy or i'm gonna say enemy because they all are aggressive everything you encounter in that game is constantly like full-on i'm gonna fuck you up mode and I'm like, come on. I get that the big T-Rex monster's mad all the time. And, and the big crocodile one. Or the big saber-toothed tiger-looking thing. I get those ones. But do the deer have to be pissed for no reason? Like, do the horse monsters have to be pissed for no reason? Like, does everything there's, have to kill me? <laughs> and, like, there, there's right ways to do this. Like, the, the big daddy in uh, the first and second Bioshock... They were passive unless you were aggressive with them, yes. and they were tough enemies. Like that's, I think, with a, a few few exceptions, that is, like, the technology's there. Yeah. So, are are you only making this like all these robots aggressive for a challenge? Because because if you're doing it for the sake of challenge and not trying to immerse the player in in this world, then it's just going to be frustrating, as yeah. you as you said. And it makes no sense. I don't feel like the rewards that you get from destroying no. these big monsters is worth a twenty to thirty minute fight. No, I, I I personally think like this this game is basically a loot like a looter game almost, and gathering resources. I I I think this game would have fared better if they kind of just kind of consolidated all that down, because searching for material like like searching for the crafting is fine, uh, but I, th the fact that I think they made it like so central in the game, like you have to craft a fucking fast travel for God's sakes. Yes, you do. That is awful. That is a terrible idea. Do not restrict fast travel in such a massive open world. Yeah, especially when they're like, ah, oh, yes, your one objective here, 
uh, is is two and a half uh, thousand kilometers away, and then your other ones over here is four thousand kilometers away. Good luck, fucko. Like, <laughs> and then half the time that's gonna be the title <laughs> title of this episode. Good luck, fucko. These half of the time these quests are like. Oh, I, I have a conversation with so-and-so. All right, now go another 1.5K over there to get this thing. And it's like, right. <sighs> and the unfortunate part is I'm on a side quest right now, and I'm dying this bad. And I don't even want to be doing this. I'm only doing this because my level was not high enough to move forward in the story comfortably. Mm. Like, it wanted me to be, like, level 25, and when I – was ready to do that mission i was 19 so i had to grind my way up doing all these side missions and i'm hoping after this one because i think i'm like 23 right now if i somehow manage to beat this giant t-rex monster uh maybe i'll be enough to do one of like the final three missions which they're probably like oh here's another t-rex monster fuck you there's gonna be two t-rexes Oh man, I would just quit. I would be like, that, <laughs> "That's just not gonna happen." It, you, you're gonna just be like, uh, like the secret ending is gonna be like um, the guy in the Lost World. You know where the two T Rexes come in and they just just rip him in half. Yeah, like, and so the thing that I don't understand about this game, and this will probably be the last thing I say on it, is okay. the. I'm trying to think the best way to say this. The main way you're supposed to handle combat in this is you're supposed to fire strategic shots at certain spots on a, a certain locations on the monster to take it down, right? You're supposed to be you're not supposed to just like fire arrows aimlessly at it and to set traps as well. Yes, and like, like the electricity traps which are pretty which you think would be pretty effective. They don't do dick. <laughs> they, they literally the only thing that I only creature I've seen it actually do anything to is the people, the humans. Mm. Um, the explosive ones do some damage, though. But you know, and and also the the uh, guns that you pick up off off the creatures do a lot of a oh, lot yeah. of damage too. Those tear through them. But so that that's the main strategy you're supposed to have here. Now, when they throw three large monsters at you at once. That strategy goes out the window because when you have three things aggroing you at once, you take whatever fucking shot you can get. Right. And that makes these so hard to do. Literally, every single one of them, like, the best way to take down an enemy is to, is to topple it over and then do a critical hit on it up close with your spear, right? Mm -hmm. And guaranteed, guaranteed, uh, there has never been a situation where this didn't happen to me. If you're fighting more than one of them the moment you go to do the critical hit on the other one the other one's going to do a hit that takes 75 percent of your health jesus yeah it's a it's a horrible gamble and they're like well i gotta waste a potion to heal myself up you know like <sighs> yeah i don't un so and you're like connor why are you going back and playing this game you already established you don't like it it's because i want to play the second game but i want to know what's going on in the first one well enough to to understand it and mm -hmm. so I'm putting myself through this hell, and I don't understand why people like this game so much. Like, I, there are things to like about it, but they don't overweigh the negatives for me. Like, the, the negatives far exceed. Like, I, I want to keep going back to this game just to be done with it. <laughs> That's where I'm at. And, and I'm hoping the second one kind of solves these issues. 
Yeah, because it looks so good. The second one looks so good. And I'm like, please, please be a better game than this one. Do not make us craft the fucking fast travel. Ugh. For the love of God. Thankfully, I've never had to craft. I, I didn't figure out the fast travel stuff until I'd played quite a bit of the game. So at that point, I had like 20 <laughs> of the fast travel nice, things. Nice, And I've been trying to use them smartly. So I'm like, if it's more than 1,500 meters away, use it. If it's not, I'm just going to trek it on foot, even though I get my ass kicked by every living creature. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our rant for Horizon Zero Dawn, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long rant, too. <laughs> but uh, since we're... We have about 20 minutes left. Uh, Connor, some of this we might have to save for next time. Ooh. Connor just flashed me mm -hmm. with his balls. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> his hairy nipples. That I did do. <laughs> but, uh, Connor, mm -hmm. let's talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I, just watched I saw it. this in the theaters. I saw it on 4K. I don't know if theaters play in 4K. So. <laughs> but what did you think of it, Connor? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I I didn't expect it to go to such a negative place at the end. I feel like it ended on a very somber note. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought it was – I'm trying to remember it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I thought it was hopeful and, it, and bittersweet. Oh, now – okay, now I'm starting to remember the ending. By the way, this is probably going to be the l just because of time. This might be the last topic to, that we're going to talk about. Uh, so this is going to be a full spoiler warning if you haven't seen this movie yet. So and if you've somehow made it this far without already being spoiled, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm actually really really surprised that we're almost at an hour. And we have so many topics to talk about. This is what happens when, when we have long rants. We don't have that many left. Whatever. Uh, One or two left. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, so, but anyway. Turn it off now if you don't want to be spoiled. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home in three, two, one, go. Okay. So, uh, the reason I said it's a somber end is because it ends with Everyone forgetting who Peter Parker is, so the whole primary conflict of the story itself ends up playing out. And in addition to that, Peter loses his Aunt May. So he has no one. He is entirely alone in the world. Um, and he has to just kind of sit back and watch the lives of his closest friends and the people he respects, you know, just play out without him. Yeah. that That is a super tragic thing. But it, brought, it brings up a good point to where I think that's what a good Spider-Man character would do. The only way to save these people, to save the people he loves, is to make sure that they forget about him. Yeah. And I, that just shows growth as a character. Um, for me, so yeah, it the whole movie. I feel like Peter acted very selflessly, even from the beginning, for the most part. Um, like his whole reasoning for approaching Doctor Strange 
is because he sees that the lives of those around him have been impacted very mm-hmm. negatively. So, yeah. you know, his his best friend and his girlfriend can't get into college anywhere. You know, he's his family's being like stalked basically harassed harassed the poor like they had they had to go to um happy's safe house basically and it's i don't know i i thought it was very cool how they brought in all the villains and the whole premise was that peter parker um his aunt may encouraged him to try to save all of these villains who Essentially, if they were sent back to their universe, they were doomed to die. Right. And so that's kind of the the issue at hand was he has to take on the responsibility of all of these villains across three different universes and sort of, you know, rehabilitate them. And so he attempts to do this and it goes horribly wrong. Mostly because of Green Goblin. Yes. Played by Willi- Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Willem He's Dafoe. back, baby. Oh, boy. Uh, all of them came back. I think they were all their original yeah. actors, weren't they? Mm-hmm. So, which, which was such, like, great dynamics w- with, with that. Uh, like, especially with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back as well. Yeah. And you see also, like, how so many of the villains were not villains at heart. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Green Goblin was not evil. It was the the chemical that was inside of him that was making him have this dual per- like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, sort of I was situation. just about to mention Jekyll and Hyde. And then, you know, Dr. Oc, Octopus, <laughs> Dr. Was, Octavius, um he uh Doc Oc. I want a quarter for every time someone says it. <laughs> um it's it's because of the uh, chip in his head. Yes. It malfunctioned or whatever, yeah. right? And then, you know, you have the lizard who, you know, the formula in him has basically made him. Right. And, you know, Electro, he's just mad with, you know, drunk with power, basically. Exactly. And so you, you can go through all the villains this way. And once Peter starts saving some of them, especially Dr. Octavius, it's a full switch. He's basically another hero to help them. Exactly. And oh my god, what about that re- uh, that reunion with uh, Doctor Doctor Octa and Tobey Maguire Spider Man? That was so awesome. Yeah. He like like how you doing, dear boy? I'm just trying to do better. And yeah. They were happy to see each other. Yeah, because they they weren't really enemies. No. And I think even at the end of uh, was it Spider Man Two? Yeah. You know. Dr. Octavius has a moment of clarity where he tries mm-hmm. to, to save everyone. Um, and so, it, you, you to segue into what you were just talking about, seeing all of the, the Spider-Men on screen at once was a wonderful moment. And the, I love how each of the previous Spider-Men got to have a moment of redemption. Absolutely. I, want, I wanted to dive into that. Um, Andrew Garfield especially. Yes. Um, I can't quite remember uh, Toby's redemption. Toby's redemption is, so Peter from the current MCU, he picks up the glider right. and goes to hit Green Goblin with him. And what killed the Green Goblin initially was his glider yep. hitting him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man grabs it to stop it. 
having his moment of redemption of, you know, sparing Green Goblin versus letting him die. Yeah, which which caused a rift between Her- um, his best friend Harry. Yes, when, when he found out that he was Spider Man, and you know Andrew Garfield's was getting to save Mary MJ. Jane. Yeah, because he was unable to save Gwen and his. Oh my home. gosh the the way the way he broke down after he said, "Are you okay?" Yeah, like when Lily and I saw it in theater in theaters, we were the only only ones in the theater because we saw it really late. I heard Lil- Lily audibly gasp when um tom holland spider-man was knocked away by the green goblin Mm -hmm. it was like (gasps) yeah and then then here comes andrew garfield just those are some powerful moments and then the the moment where they're all um gathered together on the roof and he says you know my aunt said with with great you know great power comes great responsibility and but Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man finishes the sentence, and he's like, how did you know that? And then they both say, well, my Uncle Ben said that. And it kind of clicks that, like, you know, there, there's a reason for everything happening, you know, mm-hmm. and, like, uh, it was just a powerful and moment. Like, <laughs> and Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, they, because they are the more experienced Spider- Spider-Man in other universes, they – they kind of taught Tom Holland a little some things too, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of got got to understand why they became Spider Man, and it it taught it, I think it made Tom Holland a better Spider Man because he's learning from other experienced Spider Men. Yeah, and there was also of course funny quips too. It's like I was an Avenger. That's awesome. What's an Avenger? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a band? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. It's like, and also when they were asking Tobey Maguire, so you make the webs? Mm-hmm. It's like, like where where does it shoot out? Does it shoot out anywhere else except your wrist? You had to write a web block. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just great writing, great great script. Oh yeah, seeing all these in- characters interact with each other, not only just the the heroes but the villains too, mm-hmm. was kind of one of those like Avengers level moments, right? You know, where it's like you have all these characters from different backgrounds now on screen together and seeing them all work in the lab together to like try to find ways to fix all the different villains like it's such a different way of approaching a movie too because with most um superhero movies it's i've got to you know defeat the villain i've got to fight them and defeat them when in reality, this one is like we have to fix them we have to help them and that's kind of what makes i think spider-man like at least in the universe, I and it, such good characters because, like his villains, a lot of the time aren't bad people. Yeah, they necessarily ha- they have typically like something happened to them, or they're trying to do the right thing, and then something is is a catalyst for mm-hmm. for changing them. Even like the vulture, like he didn't start as a a bad person. At le- at least I think in the comics, though, I think he was originally a bank robber. Mm. I can't quite remember, but at least in in the MCU, yeah, especially in, in the in, Insomniac uh, games, where um, at least with Doc Doc, like he was Peter's mentor, mm-hmm. you know, and Norman Osborn being like seeing Peter as a son to him because he was best friends with uh, with Harry, like just and just stuff like that. That's why I think I think 
Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, so. What did you think of the post credit scene with Venom? That was fucking awesome. <laughs> Tom Hardy. Like, they're, they're opening doors now because, because I th- no, because Venom was a Sony product. Yes. And so now I'm thinking that Sony might let Disney kind of take the reins for Venom. I'm I, I think this is more than just a cameo, or, or at the very least, he was the catalyst to bring the symbiote into into the MCU. Yeah, I think it's their way of kind of like sharing, you know. Mm-hmm. I I kind of just think that's what they're doing with it, um, because it's a separate universe, right? It doesn't make sense to have all the MCU events take place in that Venom universe, right? And so. It was kind of a nice little nod. And, you know, I actually just got to thinking, you know, I was thinking over the consequences of this film. The consequences mm-hmm. are every hero, every individual person, every villain does not know who Peter Parker is. This P- Peter Parker. Tom yes. Holland Peter Parker. Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And as a result, the Vulture has a chance to be evil again. Yeah. Because... The whole reason, you know, it wouldn't it would betray his current character to come back out of prison and go after Peter is because he realizes he he saved my life. I know who he is. He's a good person. And so, you know, at the end, when you have the guy who's implied to be Scorpion in Homecoming, he doesn't tell Scorpion his identity. He keeps it Mm -hmm. to himself. But now. He doesn't know who it is. He doesn't have that connection anymore. He just knows Peter Parker, or no, not Peter Parker, Spider-Man is the reason I'm in jail. Yeah. And so it's very likely that if he got out of jail, he would go after him not knowing who Peter Parker even is anymore. Mm -hmm. So that sets that up. But at the same time, it kind of sucks because it makes it a point now where all the hero crossover films, you're going to, if Spider-Man is in any future Marvel films, you're going to have to have those interactions again where they introduce each other, sorry, introduce themselves to each other and have that initial meeting again with all these characters. Mm-hmm. I'm weird. really I'm really curious where they're going to go from, from here. I was talking to my wife, and she thought they might just not make Spider-Man movies for a while in this universe. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think Tom Holland's these contracted for one more. I've heard they want to make at least one more film in the other Spider-Man universes too. That'd be interesting because they since since they had a uh, kind of a, a revival. What do you? So what they could do is if they go back to their universes where these villains are now no longer evil. Mm-hmm. Would future iterations of them have the Goblin and Doc Ock still like alive or? you know, Electro or, you know, all these other characters alive, but they are, like, friends with the Peter in that universe. That'd be really interesting. Another thing I was thinking, the direction they can go, is they um, they kind of established in the first Homecoming uh, Miles Morales. Yes. So, and there's a brief mention uh, when Electro is talking to uh, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, yep. he goes, I kind of expected you to be black. And he's like, well, it's some in some universe, P- 
Peter Parker might or there yeah. might be a black Spider-Man is what he says. Yep. And I'm like, oh, you you're hinting something. Yeah. Like I, I, Lil and I looked at each other like, oh, <laughs> yeah, no lie. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. And because, uh, God, what what is his uncle? What is Miles Morales uncle's name? Gosh, I do not remember. He's uh, the police officer, right? Um, no, it's and, his and dad. It, it, um, it, 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 go, it goes back and forth. Um, in the game, it is, it's his dad. Mm. Um, but I think in the movie, and uh, so like the like homecoming movie, um, it's like his cousin or his nephew, mm. because um, it oh, uh, because uh, his uncle is the prowler. Uh, hold on, now it's, now it's my turn to look up <laughs> shit. Miles Morales uncle. I was thinking of the Into the Spider Verse yeah. movie too. Uh, da 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 da. Aaron Davis. Hmm. Yeah, so um, played by Donald Glover, Aaron Davis, I believe, in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. He's the one with the ice cream. I didn't know there was any relation to Miles in that. Uh, Yeah, like, so I think that was his uncle. Huh. Fingers crossed for, um, I don't know who would play, who would make a good Miles Morales, but, yeah. Well, I mean, they can do this now because... There's been that time jump, so that yeah. person who would have been a kid in Homecoming could potentially now be, if they weren't blipped, they could be five years older on top of however many years has passed mm-hmm. since that film. You know, I I don't I don't think you see his uh, his nephew in Homecoming. It was ju- it was just the uncle. Yeah, I'm just saying, like if it was a kid before, it could be a teenager now. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. All right, so that's Spider-Man: Homecoming. So let's uh. I'm looking at this here, Connor. Let's uh, let's let's end end things out tonight with um, uh, Family Guy season fifteen. I am I am surprised Family Guy has as many seasons as it does. Has more than that, but I I I watched fourteen and fifteen. Yeah, like (laughs) honestly, I I stopped watching Family Guy probably after uh season. I I stopped watching after the episode. Where Peter opens a restaurant and thinks that Joe and his police buddies are gonna come in, but it's just but it's his handicapped friends, and then they formed Crippletron, and I was like, okay, oh my god, this is I I no like I and saying Crippletron, <laughs> that that is a line from the show. I did not make that up. That's all right. Um, and that was the point of the show where. Brian started becoming a shitty character. He was just an awful. He was always shitty. Not necessarily. in in the in the beginning se- in the be- in the beginning seasons, he it showed that he loved his family, and even though he had a crush on Lois, out of respect for Peter, his best friend, he he kept he kept his um his feelings for Lois purely platonic, mm-hmm. and he was still good friends with Peter. He showed that he cared for Chris and Meg, in nowadays like he's a shit like he is a a neoliberal <laughs> shitty writer who smokes r- weed and basically neglects his son which was established in one of the seasons he's, yeah. he's an overall shitty character and all the characters now are just shitty people they yeah. they th- it family guy has basically flandered flanderized all like all the characters Yes. There, there is no central plot point to any of the episodes really anymore. There's no. like two or three plot points. 
And that's why and and it's literally like joke, 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 joke. Yeah. Instead of like clever writing. Like I honestly if you were to take if you were to take away the cutaways from the these current seasons, you'd probably only have like five minutes of, of episode. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's kind of my rant. I honestly like the early family guy is 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 really funny. Like the writing is so funny. Um and just icon and pretty iconic. I mm, I don't know if I agree with that. Really? So I think so I let me let me establish this here. Uh I started watching season 14 and and I've got through season 15 and I've just kind of been I put it on initially. I was like where did the episodes stop looking familiar to me? And I just kind of like scrolled through and I was like, eh, approximately season 14. None of this looks any familiar to me. Other ones I've maybe seen clips of or, I've, mm-hmm. you know, bits and pieces, whatever. Put on season 14, started watching. And the thing that I've noticed is that it has changed a lot. Um, and I would assume as I keep watching, because that's still, you know, I think the season, the, I think it was like 24. 14 2015 was the seasons i was watching maybe jesus you know I, that's a long time ago that is a long time ago and uh or maybe it's 2015 2016 but still long time ago um what i've noticed is the evolution of the the comedy in the show you made a good point when you said like you know it's just joke 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 but I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. Every episode has a story, and the cutaways are all jokes. But I look at it more like a cartoon rendition of stand-up comedy. Interesting. So, okay. A stand-up comedian will go up there, and they might have a through story for the things that they're saying. But their jokes are typically just kind of one-off riffing off each other. Boom, boom, boom. Quick, fast, little quippy jokes. Maybe make a big joke that ties them all together. And boom, voila, we have our our comedy special. Right? And in a lot of ways, uh, Family Guy has kind of... Maybe it always has been, but it definitely feels that way for me. And the the sense of humor for it, I think, has kind of changed as well. Family Guy was always fairly edgy. It has gotten a lot uh, edgier. So as a result, a lot of the jokes are uh, hit or miss, right? And the ones that miss for me usually just because I don't get the reference it's trying to make. Mm-hmm. It's m- making some reference that goes like way over my head or something. Uh, but a lot of them are just like dark humor that are really funny. And the thing I think about it is a lot of people's problem with Family Guy is that it, uh, it people think it's uh, offensive, right? It, it says things that are offensive. And I think in the way that South Park is offensive, but it's not mean, mm-hmm. right? South Park is offensive, but it's totally self-aware of its offensiveness. And it's being offensive to lampoon that kind of mindset, typically. Like, oh, where it's over, like, South Park over-exaggerates something to make a point. 
kind of like uh, just just uh, just because I thought about like uh, Captain Hindsight, you know, who was a, a really big character during the uh, during the BP oil spill, was like they should have had a shutoff valve for the shutoff valve for the shutoff valve, you know? Yeah. And just like and just basically putting all these people who are Monday morning quarterbacking the a something as complicated as an oil spill into a into a character. Yeah, and so here here's a perfect example. Uh, if you've played the South Park uh, game, the second one, there in the very beginning of the game, there's a difficulty slider that makes the game harder <laughs> based off your your the darker the color of your skin. That's not trying to you know be racist. That is a commentary on how. In general, life is harder for a person of color, and it's it's a shitty thing. But hey, we're gonna it, use comedy to bring attention yeah, to the shitty like, thing, right? Carbon flat out flat out says this doesn't make combat any harder. Just every other aspect of your life. Bingo. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so, prices will be higher. People will be. I think people will be a bit more hostile towards you. Yeah, and so there's an episode in in one of the seasons of uh, Family Guy that I was watching where. They they make some I want to say it's like a gay joke or something. They make mm-hmm. some joke about people being gay or whatever, and then Peter kind of cuts away to the side and he's like, "All right, we got the gay joke out of the way. Okay, good. Let's actually move on with this." And like you know, just like like we get it. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. we're we're not making fun of things to to be mean and like attack people or make people feel bad about the way they are. We're making fun of it to kind of show that it's bad and and right, i'm okay. having a hard way artic- hard time articulating this but it's like if you know who seth mcfarlane is as a person he's a fairly liberal person i would imagine yeah. in real life and so i think he created these characters to be like extreme exaggerations of a trope so every character on the show you mentioned flanderization but i think that's the point like I think they're supposed to be these stereotypical versions of types of people, and he's even said in interviews, he's like, you know, everybody knew somebody out there like Peter, you know, somebody who is completely clueless, offensive all the time, just because he's dumb, and like, I guess someone like Brian, who is up his own ass, thinks he's the greatest person bingo, on the planet. Bingo. Every character, Quagmire is not a good person either. He is a, you know, a, a sex-obsessed, you know, man-whore of a he's person. He's a rapist, basically. Yeah, he, he's an awful person. He even said, like, in one of the interviews, that he's like, you're not supposed to like Quagmire or any of these characters. You're supposed to, like, be like, wow, they're all really shitty. And that's, like, the whole point of, like, shows like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, too. All the characters are shitty. That's the point. That's why it's funny. They're like comedic representations of shitty people that you might encounter in real life. And it it characterizes these kind of people as, you know, let's imagine there there was no comedy evolved or around somebody who is sexist, right? So all the people you encounter in real life that are sexist are just shitty people. But then when you put a sexist character and you use them as a, a a silly, stupid, dumb character in a show, you're like, wow, sexists are really dumbasses. Like, you know, like that's that's how you look at it. And so I think I think there's a little bit more nuance maybe in Family Guy than a lot of people will give it credit for. Um 
I'm not saying it's a great show. I'm saying it's one of those ones you can kind of put on when you're playing the background. Yeah, yeah. And not every joke's going to hit. I would say 25% or less probably hit with me. But the ones that do, because it's just, it's so <laughs> fucked up and absurd. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, it, it's so out there mm-hmm. that it's like, like, there's a, there was a joke on a recent one where, like, um, uh, Joe, who is, you know, in a wheelchair, doesn't have any mobility of his legs. He is the bottom half in a, uh, magician show and where they cut someone in half right and he's like and now the the person will move their legs now that i've cut them in half and you hear juggle uh that's what i wanted to talk to you about before the show and it's okay that's pretty good it's a dark joke but it's funny like it's like <laughs> i don't know it's 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 interesting and i don't know I, i'll probably like keep watching just to see how the show evolves because this is you know a snapshot in time too i don't know it's worth i think if you have not watched the show in a really long time and you have the means to do so i'd say throw up a few episodes and see if it hits with you at all okay nice yeah all right i think that'll just about do it it's uh (laughs) it's it's getting late it's almost 10 o'clock yeah then i'm tired it's been it's been a kind of a shitty week uh I told you this over text, but my dog ate one of my PS5 controllers. I, I don't know how she did it. It was it was out of reach for her, but that that dog is so freaking smart. Well, we're gonna have to get you a new dog, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tr- I'll trade you a dog for a gray cat. Oh, I assumed the dog wasn't existing anymore. What? Well, you know, like you put her down afterwards. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> like I even even though I was. And it it kind of scared me because um, Lily texted texted me on my way home saying, "Just so you know, um, don't be really mad about what what you find what Kiva chewed <laughs> up." Uh. And of course, with me and my and my emotional mental issues, I started catastrophizing. Like, she did not pull the PlayStation Five off. Please, for the love of God, I'm like, <laughs> and I ask, uh, and I ask, okay, well. I was like, what was it? It's like, well, you'll see when you get home. I'm like, no, shit, this is this is worse. This oh, is making no. it worse. And oh, like, no. it's like, what? I ask, are the consoles okay? Yeah, the consoles are fine. Just one of the controllers are bad. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> the the Switch or PS5? Like, and she said PS5. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I could breathe a little bit easier. <laughs> but I was actually gonna like tell you, like, you know, uh. Maybe you should consider like taking your your switch and like putting it up like on top of a shelf while That's you're what we gone. Did. Um, we we uh, I have an X pen around the uh, entertainment center when we're not home. Oh, so yeah, it's I honestly I don't think I've ever had a dog who chewed up personal belongings since like I like. I think my grandparents had a dog that did that years ago. They would, like, chew up my action figures, try to hide everything all the time. But, like, that's one of the very first things I try to, like, establish with a dog is, like, mm-hmm. this yours, this not yours. And see, this is the thing. Like, 
ever since Luna and I started working, like she she seemed fine. And this is just a recent thing, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it's just starting to she's starting to realize that this is going to be an everyday thing, and she's starting to like her separation anxiety is getting the better of her. But do you think it would help to maybe like kennel her for a little bit until like? We you thought about her that. Um, we're also th- we also kind of play with the idea if it's financially viable, doggy daycare. Mm-hmm. That way she can socialize with more dogs. And There's that place right down the street from me. Yeah. So we'll we'll see, but and hopefully when uh, I get paid, I'm gonna get a new controller because um, I'll talk about this this game uh, next time. But Lily and I have been playing Boomerang Foo. Which is a really kind of fun uh, local multiplayer game involving uh, cutting cute food items in half with boomerangs. <laughs> so nice. make that a what you will. There's a little teaser for uh, next episode. Um, Connor and I have su- have some ideas for the show in the hopper uh, for season two. Uh, so kind of stay tuned for that. Uh, rate, like, and subscribe, and share this episode if you like it. Tell your friends. And thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you guys next time. See you.